All right, Romans 8. That is our study for tonight. Just verses 1 through 17. Um, kind of take my time in breaking up this chapter. It's very rich, and I'm excited about it, uh, but also uh, dealing with the scriptures as every lesson in a reverent way because it is the word of God. Let's go before the Lord and by our hearts. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for your presence right now, right here. Lord, we pray that you help us to sense your presence. We pray that you help us to to sense and to see you moving today, Lord, in this worship service. And not only in this in this room right now, but also all across this campus where ministry is being done, where your word is going forth. I pray for the gift of teaching, fresh filling of your spirit. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Romans 8, 1 through 17, the title tonight is Benefits of the Indwelling Spirit. Now, this word benefit or benefits are advantages or the good that come from something or someone. And all throughout life in, you know, various areas when we go shopping or when we sign up for things, when we uh, apply for a job, we are looking for some type of benefit, some type of advantage or good that can come from our association with that club team or a certain job or even from a relationship, maybe from buying a house in a certain neighborhood and our school choices, what school to go to. We're looking for benefits. What advantage can I get from something or an association with someone? But I wonder if we think of the benefits in a spiritual way when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We hear about the Holy Spirit a lot here. Hopefully you read the word of God and see the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Or if you're reading the King James Version, Holy Ghost. Hopefully you're seeing that throughout the scriptures and it's brought to your attention. But have you thought about the benefits of the indwelling spirit? As Pastor Jim mentioned recently that there, there's various relationships we can have with the Spirit. Holy Spirit is with us. So he's wooing people to Jesus. Not everybody receives Christ. But the people who do, he, he comes in them. So that's another relationship. So with, in, and then we have the upon. The Greek word epi. In other words, the overflow. Some say baptism with the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is the baptizer. And he's using the Holy Spirit to baptize believers with, to empower him or her for service and to be effective witnesses. Where we're not going to talk about that overflow, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about that relationship tonight. We're talking about the E-N, in relationship. E-N being Greek. But we're talking about the in Dwelling, the Holy Spirit taking up residence within us. What are the benefits? And we're going to get there because there are various benefits just throughout the scriptures. But I just want to point out the benefits that we get just from the first 17 verses in Romans 8. 
And so verse one in Romans eight begins as follows. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, when you read that, I want you to remember those of you who were here last week or perhaps you read this before. Try to remember what was going on in Romans chapter seven, because if you remember that, you remember the struggle of the apostle Paul, because in Paul's mind, according to his new nature, he wanted to serve God. He wanted to keep God's law. And he loved God's law. And so thank God for that new nature that we get from God through faith in Christ. Because the Holy Spirit working through that new nature enables us to obey. And so with his mind, according to the new nature, he loved God's law. He wanted to obey it in Romans 7, but his sin nature, as he tried to operate in his own strength, that that sin nature will take over and influence his body so that he did those things he did not want to do. And that happens with many of us. And we talked about that in the last study. But I like the fact that eventually what he pointed out is the answer, answer capital A, meaning Jesus. So Jesus, he pointed out in the last study, is his deliverance from the power and presence of sin. That eventually will be delivered from the presence of sin and will no longer have a sin or sinful nature. That's future for believers. And yes, as Christians, if we sin, we should be sorry. We should feel bad for it and we should repent. Because we want to keep that fellowship with God going. But the question is, should we condemn ourselves or allow the enemy to do so when we mess up, when we sin as believers? And the answer, of course, is an emphatic no, we should not condemn ourselves. Now, these are believers, those who are in Christ Jesus, who belong to Christ, and we should not allow the enemy to beat us up as well. Now, why is that? Because, again, we belong to Christ. We are in him. And think about this. Think about Jesus. Think about all he accomplished. Now, this is the perfect eternal God took upon a human body and lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Not once. Yet and still he died in the place of sinners. He died in our place. And so if if God, the father looks at Jesus as holy. If he looks at Jesus as righteous. Think about how he would look at those of us who are in him, because if we are in him, he's looking at us through the lens of Jesus. And so he, too, sees us as holy and as righteous. Because. We are in him. So anytime maybe your mind lies to yourself or maybe someone from your past, someone from your family tries to lie to you and hold condemnation over you. 
as if you were still guilty of your sin and sentenced to death, although you were a believer. When those lies come up, remember this. If you are in Christ and ask yourselves, did God the Father ever condemn Jesus? And if he never condemned Jesus, then those who are in him or belong to him, you are not condemned. Now, I don't care who lied to you or who told you what, what position they have telling you who are in Christ that, hey, you're guilty. You still are going to pay for that sin for eternity. You go to the scriptures. And maybe you may have some of those struggles where your sin nature may come up from time to time as the Apostle Paul expressed as he shared with us. But praise God for him. There was no condemnation and neither is there a guilty verdict and no punishment for us. We're saved in Christ Jesus. Now, the second part of that verse, I have to touch on it. Because I'm teaching the word of God and I have to be honest. And because also this is what you're going to see when you read commentaries or maybe when you read a note in your Bible. Or maybe maybe you have a version that doesn't even contain the second part of verse one who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, the reason that is, as I'm being honest with you, is that some Greek manuscripts And manuscripts, by the way, are handwritten copies, handwritten copies of the original. Okay, so paper, whatever materials used, they they disintegrate, right? So you need copies. And so they're handwritten. And this is before the, the ability was there to print them out. And so before that ability was there, these manuscripts, and some of them, The phrase who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit is not there. But in another group of manuscripts, it is there. And so what you have is some English versions that won't have that second part of verse one. But in the King James and the new King James, it keeps that part of the verse in there. But then it'll just write a note that says in this group of manuscripts, it's not there. But in this group's group of manuscripts, it is there. But either way, that verse, whether it's in verse one or verse whatever, it still belongs in the Bible. Because as we'll keep reading, we're going to see that same phrase in verse four. And so it's still a word from God. It's still there in verse four. We're going to read it. But, but maybe the scribe who put it there in verse one, maybe he inserted the phrase in verse one to emphasize That, hey, the true believer, and I emphasize true, the true believer is not condemned in Christ. And the true believer in his pattern or her pattern of life will walk according to the spirit, not according to the sin nature. So maybe that was the emphasis that the true believers know it's not condemned and it is scriptural. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 21, for example, Jesus himself said it. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. 
So picture that as being people who are walking as a rule of life. Yes, we're going to have blips and sins here and there. But as a general rule of our lives, as true believers indwelt by the spirit. Yes, we're going to walk according to the will of God. And then in James 2.26, going along with the idea for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We can say we have faith and that, oh, yeah, we trust Christ all we want to. We can say that. But do our works match up with the faith that we say we have? Uh, Somebody, if a car could talk or if inanimate objects can talk. You can't tell me that you're a car when you only have two wheels and handles. Same thing with a Christian in regards to James 2.26 and what Jesus says in Matthew 7.21. There's going to be evidence of faith in our lifestyles. Now, on the other side of that, of no condemnation being for the true believer, there is a group, unfortunately, who is condemned. And if they stay in that state, spiritually separated from God, then they're going to be eternally separated from God because a person could be physically alive, breathing. You can touch them and give them high five, but they could be spiritually dead. And if that, and if that spiritually dead state isn't fixed by faith in Christ, true faith in Christ, then if they die in that state, then there is eternal death, eternal quarantine, separation from God. In John 3, 18, it says, he who believes in him is not condemned. You're not guilty. You won't be sentenced to death. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. That is Jesus. And so we have spirit. People die. People are separated from God, first of all, because of sin. Sin kills. But then Jesus is the cure. So if you reject the cure, you reject Jesus If you put a finger of the Holy Spirit mouth, if he had a physical mouth and said, shh, I don't want to hear that. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You insult the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's jobs. One of his jobs is to testify of Jesus, to woo people to Jesus. Hey, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we put a shh in front of the Holy Spirit. We insult him, call the Holy Spirit a liar by saying no. That's blaspheming in the Holy Spirit. We die in that state. There is no forgiveness for that. And so the only way the unbeliever can get from under this cloud of condemnation, it's not by doing some type of works. But again, by believing this is true faith in Christ, which is the only condition necessary to receive the blessing of not being condemned. Now, in verse two, it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the life from the law of sin and death. Now, here it mentions the spirit of life reference to the Holy Spirit, as you see a capital S in the word spirit. Now, I've been mentioning the Holy Spirit a lot so far in this lesson. Now, just want to clarify who is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Not three separate gods, but three in one. We're talking about the triunity of God, third person of the Trinity. And and he is a person, not that he's human, but he's a person in the sense that he is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. It made me feel good. No, he, he's a person. He's a personal being. The Holy Spirit thinks. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit has emotions and a will. In fact, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force. And so he's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit also is God. Co-eternal, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. But one God. In fact, there are some scriptures in the Old Testament that are attributed to God. That is God the Father. But then in the New Testament, they are attributed. Those same verses are attributed to the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, also in this verse, in verse 2, now that I clarify who the Holy Spirit is, I want to point out benefit number one of the indwelling spirit. And benefit number one is that we are free from the law or power of sin and death just by his presence alone in us. Because that implies if he's in us, that implies we're in Christ, put our faith in Christ. So verse one deals with the penalty of sin. Right. The penalty of sin has been taken care of. We are justified. Right. Standing with God. No condemnation. And then in verse two, it deals with the power of sin. So we don't have to live according to the law or power of sin and death because we have the Holy Spirit in us. So by his very presence, we are free from the law of sin and death. And in verse three, for what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. Remember chapter seven. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh or in a body like ours on account of sin. And it says he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, if I use this, the following illustration, it'll it'll show you. Sort of what the law does. Because remember, the law is good, it's holy, it's from God. Nothing wrong with it. But here we see, yes, it was weak through the flesh. And so in this illustration, I'm going to share with you. Try to picture the law as some type of lifeguard. Standing on some type of shore or. Maybe in a boat somewhere as we're in some deep waters. And so the law is screaming out to us, hey, move your arms this way and that way. Move your feet, kick your feet. And so the law is giving us proper directions on how to swim, how to keep ourselves from drowning. But it doesn't help us. It doesn't jump in the water and save us. So it's giving us the right information But not giving us any help. But God, on the other hand, if we stick to this illustration, he's not just watching mankind drown in this raging water. 
He's not just barking out instructions, even though the instructions are maybe accurate. He's not just watching us drown in these powerful and raging waters of sin. No, no, God did something about it. God sent his son. In other words, he he threw in a lifeboat and the lifeboat is Jesus. And if we are in the lifeboat, once again, there is no condemnation for us who are in Jesus in the lifeboat where there is safety from the penalty of sin. And so this reminds us that left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we will have to depend on our flesh. We would have to depend on the only thing we would have, which is our sin nature. And this sin nature, of course, is incapable of helping us to obey the law of God. Our sin nature goes against what God wants. But Jesus came in a body like ours. Notice it says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He never sinned. Jesus had a human nature, but not a sin nature. There's a difference. There is a difference. You know, because he was fully man, he had to eat and travel. He walked from one place to another. He had to sleep and he did sleep. He had to rest physically. Okay, so it's part of his human nature, but Jesus didn't have a sin nature. So it is accurate. It's the word of God, of course, where it says he came in the likeness of it. So he looked like the rest of us who have sinful flesh. But of course, He was perfect even in his human body. And in that perfect human body, he became our sin offering, as it tells us in verse 3, as I explain it. In that perfect life that he's lived, that he lived, and who he is, the eternal God, he's qualified to be the perfect sacrifice to die in our place. And then on top of that, condemned sin in the flesh, broke the power of sin. Took the penalty of sin and then broke the power of it. So we don't have to live under the rule, under the tyranny of sin. In verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law, connecting to the previous verse, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, who don't walk according to our sin nature, but we walk according to the spirit, the Holy Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, those of us who are dominated by our sinful nature, we set our minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, we set our minds on the things of the spirit. And so here we see benefit number two of the indwelling spirit. And that is the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Notice it says in us, not by us. It's fulfilled in us. So this could be understood in a couple of ways. It could be understood this way. Number one, that Christ fulfilled the law in all that it represented. Because there's types and shadows in the law that give us pictures and glimpses of the future Christ. And so we call that a type. So in the law, we see typology. We see types, pictures of Christ. And Jesus is the antitype. In other words, he is the substance of what the law was a picture of. And so he represented or he fulfilled it in that way. He fulfilled it in his obedience to the law, lived a perfect life. He fulfilled it in the penalty that is brought about by the law because the law puts people under a curse. If you're disobedient to it, Jesus took that. He fulfilled it. Not only that, but 
Jesus fulfilled it and given a better explanation of it than what the Pharisees or the uh, religious leaders had at the time. They only saw it being applicable in an outward way. But Jesus got to the heart of the matter when it came to the law. He showed that the law is spiritual. So it could be understood that Jesus fulfilled the law in all of those ways. And that those of us who are in Christ, that law is fulfilled within us as well. Or it could mean that the Holy Spirit will produce the love in our lives that we need in order to fulfill the righteous requirement of it. Because Jesus talked about two main commandments. Love God with our whole being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we do that, we fulfill the law. We don't need to be directed by something external when the Holy Spirit is working in us. And so maybe it's talking about that. So those are a couple of ways uh, what we see there in, in verse four, a couple of ways it could be understood. But in verse eight, it says for it to be carnally minded, that is to have a mindset controlled by the flesh or the sin nature to have that type of mindset is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To have a mindset controlled by the spirit is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against against God. It's against God. It's an enemy against God. For it is not subject. It's not submissive to the law of God. Speaking of our fleshly minds, of the fleshly mind, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh who are still under the control of the sinful nature. If you never receive Christ, that's the only nature you have. So you are completely under the control of the sinful natures. But as believers, we have that nature and the new nature guided by the spirit. If we are yielding to the spirit, of course. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse eight. And so here we see the benefit of the indwelling spirit. Number three, the third point. The third point is that we can be spiritually minded which leads to life and peace. And that could be enjoyed now and in eternity. So those of us who have been lacking peace lately internally, or maybe you've been lacking peace lately in various relationships. A question I want to pose to you is, could it be because we haven't been spiritually minded lately that we've been allowing that old nature to creep up lately? Because to be spiritually minded, a mindset guided by the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit, is a mindset of life and peace. And so some of us need a mindset reset. We need to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. So for the person today who thinks that they can live a life, a successful life spiritually without Christ, If you ain't here tonight, I got to break the bad news. You're going to fail. But as we've been talking about tonight, there is hope in Christ Jesus. There is no hope for pleasing God as far as being obedience is concerned. If you are in the flesh, there's no hope if you're in the flesh, if all you have is a sin nature. But yes, there is hope in Christ. But the first step to pleasing God. It's what it says in Hebrews eleven six. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. You start there. So if you haven't done that tonight, start there. Put your faith in Christ. 
That's how you get a relationship with God the Father. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But, in verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Speaking to believers, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. See those different nicknames for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God. Then he is not his. So that's the fourth benefit of the indwelling spirit. It shows us that we belong to Christ. In verse 10, and if Christ is in you, in other words, if you are united to Christ, the body is dead because of sin. In other words, the body is going to die. But the spirit is life because of righteousness or because you have been made right with God. But if, in verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, abides in you, lives in you, then he who raised Christ, who raised Jesus' body from the dead, remember that tomb is empty, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells or lives in you. And so benefit number five of the indwelling spirit is that that same spirit who raised Jesus's body will raise up ours as well. And, and we're going to get a body that is incorruptible, glorious, powerful, spiritual, and immortal. Won't die anymore. Made for eternity. You can read 1 Corinthians 15 for more info on that. But in verse 12, it says, therefore, brethren... Speaking to believers, we are debtors. We're debtors not to the flesh, not to our sinful nature to live according to the flesh. We are not debtors to our sin nature. We have no obligation to our sin nature. In fact, what has the flesh done for you lately? All the flesh did was get us in trouble. All the flesh did was was bring about, about guilt and shame in our lives. All the flesh did was push us further and further from fellowship with God. It brought heartache and, fame, and pain to our families and, and marriages and in relationships at work and, and, and potential friendships. It caused discord. What has the flesh done for us? Lately, so no, we are not an obligation. We're not obligated to the flesh. For if, verse 13, you live according to that sin nature, you're going to die. Okay, but if the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. So benefit number six of the indwelling spirit is that we will get help in killing the sinful works we use our bodies for. Because maybe you've been having that struggle that we've seen in Romans chapter 7 and you're trying to figure out how did I, how did I live in victory over this sin nature? Why did this old me keep popping up? How come every time I come across this person or this, this this movie or television show or go to this place, how come the worst of me always pops out? 
Could it be because you're trying to fix it according to your own way? But instead, we have the indwelling spirit at the, uh, as Christians. And he will help us to, to put to death the deeds, those, those works, those sinful things that we use our bodies for. So what habits of sin are you trying to break? You have the answer right then. You have, you have the power. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you as believers. In verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And so this is generally speaking about our relationship and our general pattern of life. Because as believers, no, we're not, we're not always submissive to the Spirit. Although the Holy Spirit is there to always lead us. But our general pattern of life, we are led by the Spirit. We have the indwelling Spirit of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, the spirit of slavery again to fear. That is to fall back into fear. He has not given us the spirit of fear. But of power, love and of a sound mind. And so he did not give us that spirit of slavery. So maybe some of us are afraid of the fact that we, we think that, oh, we're, we're in condemnation because we've been struggling with this sin. Or we sinned yesterday or earlier today as believers. If that happened, yes, be sorry, repent, move forward. But there is no condemnation for you. So he didn't give us that type of spirit, that disposition within us, that spirit of slavery. Again, to fall back into fear. Because if we're living in that way, the scriptures tell us in First John, I believe it's chapter 4, then we have not been perfected in love. And so we need to be perfected in that. But you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic term for father. It's similar to Papa or Daddy. Close relationship is what it implies here. And so we receive that spirit of, of adoption, not the spirit of bondage. Adopted as sons. That's benefit number seven. Now the spirit himself in verse 16 bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So benefit of the indwelling spirit number eight. The Holy Spirit is an important witness to the fact that we are God's children. So Maybe you've been doubting whether or not you are a child of God. Maybe you've been doubting if you're really saved. But if you truly put your faith in Christ, if you were sincere, if you repented and you were sincere, putting your faith in him, according to the scriptures, no matter how you feel, no matter what somebody tells you, no matter what you tell you, you are a child of God and you have this witness inside of you. The Holy Spirit says, yes, I can testify to that. You are a child of God. So you have this inner witness. And every word by two or three witnesses will be established. And so as we look at these scriptures, what we've seen here in, in verses 14 through, through 17, 
Some may see a contradiction in how we become a part of God's family. Some may say, well, are we born into this family? Because we talk about being born again, being born of the spirit, or are we adopted into his family? Well, first of all, we are born into the family of God. John 1 verses 12 and 13. We are born into the family of God. That's how we become children of God. Not because we live in America, but because we put our faith in Christ. That birth comes from above. We are born of God. But now, speaking of adoption, there is a cultural background to that. And so... This adoption, just speaking on that topic, was was common in the Greco-Roman way of life during that time. And, and if there were no children in the family, it says that the husband would adopt a son whom he could give the inheritance, even though that person was not related. Now, once that child was adopted... The natural father had absolutely no more authority over him. And the adopted father had complete control over his new son. In fact, that new son can can call that adoptive father, father, Abba, so to speak, will receive that new name. And now while becoming children of God by being born again, And being adopted as a son, both describe believers as being a part of the family of God. That that term adoption, when it talks about the, the, the Holy Spirit being the spirit of adoption, it has an extra emphasis. Because we are born into the family of God, that's how we become children of God. But then we also become sons of God by adoption. And being adopted as a son speaks more about our position. So becoming the children of God by faith and being born again talks about relationship. And yes, the sonship talks about relationship too. But the adoption, again, is more about position in the family. In other words, we don't come into the family of God as babies in the sense that we are not eligible to receive the privileges and the inheritance But we are born into the family of God, become children and adopted as sons, meaning that we come as adult sons in the family of God, which would make us eligible to receive an inheritance. So that's what it's talking about. Adopted as sons versus just only children. So we are both. But one, again, is focused more on position and there is a. A truly a blessing as we talk more and more about that. And so as believers, not only are our old, our ties to our old life cut loose, but we are given a new identity. We are given a new name. We are given even an inheritance, although we were not a son by nature. So we're children by birth and also adopted as sons eligible to receive the inheritance from God, our father. And there are some details about our inheritance. And some of those details are, first of all, the things we'll inherit are number one, the earth will inherit the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And also the scriptures talk about us inheriting eternal life. 
Now, since we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, we need to know what Jesus is an heir of. Because if we are joint heirs with Christ, that means we share in whatever his inheritance is from the father. And according to Hebrews chapter one, uh, verses one and two, it says God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last times spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So Jesus inherits all things. He's appointed that from God the Father. And if we're joint heirs with him, yes, we get to enjoy and share in all things, the kingdom, eternal life, and and the earth, and so forth. We get to rule and reign with him. That is a privilege of being adopted as sons, as adult sons in the family of God. We get to be heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And our inheritance is described in different ways. It's incorruptible. It is undefiled. The scriptures say our inheritance does not fade away and they are eternal. And, and, and moreover, it says that they are reserved in heaven for us, which means that it's still future. But know this, know that before we can share in his glory, that we also get the privilege of sharing in his suffering. Because it tells us in verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In Philippians 129, look what it says. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ. You've been granted the privilege on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but you've also been granted the privilege, believer, to suffer for his sake. John 15, 18. Because suffering sometimes is not always from other people. It could just be just from the presence of the uh, of sin in the world, period. And so we get sickness, we get death, we get weak and so forth. But yes, sometimes it can come from the outside, from the world system and from the enemy. And so Jesus says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so just know this, though, that yes, there is an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. Because we're in the positions of mature sons in the family of God. But know this, there's suffering along the way. So are we prepared for the suffering along the way as well? On our way to glory. If we are children of God, if we are sons of God, if we are in Christ, that's something that we must expect. Because they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us as well. Now, the best thing about the indwelling spirit, which really makes the rest of the benefits a blessing, is that the indwelling spirit is forever. Jesus tells us that himself. He says, and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. Speaking of the spirit that he may abide, he may remain, he may live or dwell with you forever. And so that's what makes the blessings, all those blessings that we've talked about, even more special. 
is that the Holy Spirit will indwell us forever. And as long as the Holy Spirit is in us, then we're going to have all the assurances we need in order to live a victorious life over the power of sin. We're going to have all the assurances we need with the indwelling spirit in us forever to be in line with the will of God. We're going to have all the assurances we need to receive the future inheritance as long as the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And speaking of the future, because the inheritance, of course, is future. Many of us tend to get unsettled as the worship team comes to the stage. As we talked about the future and the future inheritance. Many of us get unsettled. Certain things but don't look like they're lining up right. My health is not looking good. This this job is not looking good. This this marriage, this relationship is not looking good. Things are not quite lining up. I don't know what the future holds. Will the housing market crash? Will the stock market crash? How will my bank account look in 10 years? And so in regard to the future, we tend to be unsettled. But the blessing of the indwelling spirit being in us forever is that the Holy Spirit is not only a seal for us, S-E-A-L, but he is also the guarantee. In Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, these are the last scriptures I'll share with you tonight. It says, in him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice that the Holy Spirit only indwells believers. So we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now we talk about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. It it, it speaks of ownership. You belong to God. You belong to Christ. You are his. And it also talks about security, being kept safe, No loss of salvation here. In other words, he ensures that you're going to make it to the destination that he promised to you. By the fact of the indwelling spirit. He is your seal. You belong to him. You are secure. That's what the seal speaks of. But notice it also says that the Holy Spirit is also our guarantee. He is our down payment of Our inheritance, speaking of our future, until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is you, to the praise of his glory. So maybe you're not sure tonight that, hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I put my faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit has done a work in me and he's been using me. He's been working through me and I'm seeing some fruit of that. But maybe lately you haven't been sure, but I don't know if... You know, if if I'm still saved, I don't know if I'm going to receive those promises. I don't know if I'm going to persevere, so to speak. I don't know if I'm going to get that glorified body with the Holy Spirit who dwells within the believer, believer forever. He is that seal. He is that down payment that, hey, what I promised you. Remember, I called you a child. Remember, I adopted you as a son. What, and because of that, what I promised you, that inheritance, you're going to be a heir of God and joint heir with Christ. Hey, you're going to get that. 
And you're going to get that glorified body. In fact, to make sure, to make sure that it's going to happen, I'm going to give you a promise. Now, many of us guys, we give a young lady a ring, an engagement ring as a promise. Hey, we're going to marry you. And sometimes it doesn't happen, but it doesn't, that's not like God. No, that Holy Spirit could think of him as a spiritual engagement ring and that promise won't be broken. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for these, just this richness in your word. Lord, we are so rich spiritually. And many of us, Lord, focus on the material riches. But truly, your word says that Jesus became poor. He took upon a human body, came in the form of a slave so that we can become rich spiritually and enjoy that abundant life that he speaks of spiritually. Father, I pray for every person in this room who has been feeling the weight of condemnation I pray Father that you would lift that cloud if they're in Christ remind them Lord of who they are as the song said earlier tonight as the sun sets free is free indeed I am a child of God Help us, Lord, to receive who you say we are. And yes, if there's sin, Lord, we pray that you would convict us, that we'll repent. But Lord, we we pray that those sins you've already forgiven, help us to move on. Help us to not allow the enemy or even ourselves to beat ourselves up. Let my brothers and sisters know, Lord, that they are free indeed. They are free in truth. True freedom. True liberation. May they leave this place tonight encouraged and healed And ready for this upcoming week to be used by you, to live for you, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody needs prayer, I'll be here. And if anybody wants to join me to pray with people, feel free. And as I normally say, if I don't get to talk to you before you leave here, God bless you. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for your attentiveness, and we love you. Amen. God bless.